Now here's those boyhood friends, Ron and Dave. I mean, Ron and Delbert. I'm just kidding. Here's Ronna and Donna. (laughs) Hey, you guys, what's going on? Can you believe we're almost to episode 400? Yeah, this is episode 399. And Ron and Don, we are broadcasting live from the Les Schwab studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, I spent uh, the weekend on the bottom of a pool. (laughs) And lived to tell the tale. 12 feet down, yeah. I spent, I don't know, maybe 16 hours down there. No, not that much, but it seemed like 16 hours. I'll tell you why, coming up here, as uh, I am now trying to be a certified diver, just like Mr. Ron. And my son, G-Force O'Neill. But some things happen that freaked me out a little bit at the pool. And we're going to tell you about that next. Also, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, if you want to make better decisions, I know that I do. Is it meditation? Is it reading a book? Or sometimes, is it just a math problem when it comes to making better decisions? We're going to talk about that. Before we talk about that, though, let's talk about this. Ron, real estate. A lot of people that couldn't buy a home are looking to now rent a home. And they say it's unbelievable because the rents are so damn high. So with inflation flying, maybe the economy is starting to slow down a little bit. They think maybe inflation is capped here in the month of April. We're at 8.2, 8.3%. What say you for the people out there that said, yeah, I don't have the leverage anymore with interest rates going up to actually go out and buy that house or buy that condo. So maybe what I should do is I should go rent. But as people are looking to rent, they expect they, they expected a price slippage like we saw during the pandemic. And now we see an acceleration. Yeah, this is interesting nationwide. So I, I always like to, to look at the macro and then look at the micro. So macro, when you look nationwide and economists are looking at, at the rent supply, prices are going up. It's a, it's a straight ahead econ 101 supply and demand situation. There's not enough units, especially in big metropolitan areas. And so that drives the price up because there's more demand than there is supply. Everybody, I think, understands that. But when you dial down and you start to ask questions like, well, why is that happening? Uh, is there anything we can do about it? What about in the Pacific Northwest? I think things get uh, interesting in in this regard. We are we live in a community, and I'm I'm thinking I'm going to talk about it as Ron, real estate agent, and then as Ron, just sort of citizen here. Um, we live in a, in a community that's really interesting because we are constrained by geographic features like water. And if you've ever lived in another part of America, and like Don and I have lived in Phoenix, we've lived in New Mexico where we grew up, uh, and some places that are landlocked, typically what you can do, especially in Phoenix, if you've ever been there, you just acquire more land and you go out a little bit farther. And so when there's a housing uh, shortage, 
you'll see entire neighborhoods pop up. Like, yeah, you like didn't- that's how Cave Creek. There is no creek, Cave Creek, and then you see, and then Triple Creek and Fountain Creek, and just keep adding the word creek out in the desert. Yeah, and people think, oh my God, there's, there's a, a creek, creek out, out in the desert. I could, I want to do a little fishing out there with my kid. <laughs> right, and all they do, you're right. They just keep, you just keep pushing out into the desert. That's why I always tell people, if I blindfolded you. And I dropped you into Chandler, Arizona. Then I picked you up and dropped you into Mesa. Then I picked you up and I dropped you into certain parts of Scottsdale. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference because there's the Starbucks uh, right next to it. There's the Einstein bagels. There's a Walgreens. And then right next to that is going to be a Mexican food place, like a Tex-Mex place with lots of outdoor misters where you can get a margarita for eleven ninety nine every after work. So, and, and so that's a, that type of market can expand virtually in all directions right. yeah. and they don't have to redevelop anything in the core until it gets so dilapidated that people come back in, buy it up and redevelop it. Now contrast that with the coast coast. It can be the West coast. It can be the Gulf coast. It can be the East coast. You cannot expand. In, in in Seattle specifically, we have a couple additional things. Mountains on one side, and then a lot of tribal land that has been carved out and, and quote-unquote given back to tribes that uh, is undevelopable, or it's leasable maybe in the north end where you actually don't own the land, you lease the land. So what does that do? Well, that forces you to to sort of cannibalize things inside the, the parameters and redevelop them. And in Seattle specifically, there is this, unlike any other place I've ever lived, well, maybe New Orleans is like this a little bit because there's so much history there. There is this resistance of longtime residents against anything new. There's a nostalgia for, and I'm not talking about everybody, but by and large, there's there's a sentiment here that the way it used to be is better how dare you want to tear down the thing that I think that I like, even though I don't patronize it. Especially with small movie theaters. Right. And bowling alleys uh, and places How where dare you-, you tear down that artisanal market? Did yeah. you shop there? No, but I like driving by it and knowing it was in my neighborhood. Yeah. How dare you close that bookstore? There Did you, you buy books there? No, but I liked having it in the neighborhood. So <laughs> yeah. there's this resistance yeah. to uh, that. And then, and, and let's just be honest. If you live in a predominantly white, upper-class neighborhood in the Pacific Northwest, you do not want density, and it's not in my backyard. And so people will hang a Black Lives Matter sign in their window. Uh, People will be super friendly down at the farmer's market. But the second you say, hey, we want to put a sixplex in across the street from you, hell no, not no way. And there's lawsuits that get filed and blockages that happen anytime there's development. So in terms of renters, I feel for them. There is not enough rental stock, period, full stop, especially in Seattle. I just had a, a, one of my rentals that I am doing a long-term rental on, and I just, for for uh, blanks and grins, was like, I'm going to raise the rent $300 and see if anybody bites. And I, I've been renting in the Pacific Northwest for a long time. I've had moments here in Seattle where I would go two months without being able to find a tenant and have to drop the price and like offer them two, two weeks free or whatever you had to do to get a tenant into some pretty good housing stock uh, by today's standards. I put this thing on Zillow rents. I raised it $300 per month, uh, not including utilities. And I got within two hours, I had an application 
the guy sent proof of his income, pay stubs, the whole spiel. And that person signed a lease with me for two years because he wants to lock in that price. Now, now you're, you're, so let's talk about the other side of the coin. Tell us about the tenants that just left, how much they cost you, and you didn't raise the rents just for and giggles. You raised the rent because you had to, what your last tenant did. And that's the other thing that people need to hear. If you're going to go into the landlord business, I want to make sure that we're painting both sides of the canvas here. Yeah, and, and I, I this is a little bit – let me unwind this a little bit. I, tr- I tried an experimental – platform to rent out my house a a couple years ago and it was a hybrid model i don't need to get into the model i don't even know if that company's still around it that was a mistake we were uh so i didn't i didn't screen these tenants i offloaded that to basically a, a tenant screening management situation so these tenants ended up and here's where it's bewildering or or i don't know if i could have done it any different Hey, I could have not chosen that strategy. So that part's on me. But once they were in there, I was like, hey, I want to come in and do X, Y, and Z. And they said, listen, it's COVID right now. Our family, the people that are living here were very concerned. So we would prefer if if you don't come into the house, which I thought was reasonable. I, I still think it's reasonable. At the time, before any vaccines were available, uh, a lot of people were staying in their house and not and really trying to limit contact with people. So fast forward to the, them moving out. They just turned out to have broken some stuff. So the washer and dryer were broken. Uh, the, they never changed the filter in the furnace, even though I would ask them to, and I provided the filter. And so the filter, the, the motor was burned out on that. So I, I have probably, I don't know, three grand worth of expenses or so. Uh, from these folks that 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 were the, the last tenants. There's your three hundred dollars a month, right? So there's my three hundred dollars no, a, a month. It's important because we always talk about, hey, this property brought in this and this did, but people have to have to understand that that being a landlord can be heartbreaking sometimes, and it can also be very expensive, and you have to prepare yourself for that. Well, and then the other thing that that I do like to point out to renters is that it's easy to to bitch and moan about how hard it is to find a rental. And that landlords suck and that you can't evict me and all that stuff. But these tenants aren't paying for that broken motor in the furnace, even though they're the ones buying. The the guy was like, dude, your filter is is clogged and the thing's trying to work harder to push air through there. And so it just burned the motor out. So like they you can draw a straight line. It's a it's almost a brand new furnace. Like it's maybe five years old. So um, the tenant doesn't have to pay. If the roof leaks, who gets to pay for it? I do. Uh, when the washer and dryer broke, I had to go buy a new washer and dryer and so and pay to get that installed. I had to pay the gutter guy to clean the gutters. I had to pay the landscape guy. And so and and I'm happy to do it because I'm maintaining an asset that is is increasing in value. Uh, I'm not I, it, it it's some of this was avoidable, so I'm not happy jumping up and down happy. I mean, I'm in the grand scheme of things you you plan for this sort of stuff that you're gonna have this. But by putting the rents where I do, um, I am attracting hopefully a rental pool that's a little more conscientious and I'm going to meet with the guy today and just sort of lay some of this stuff out, what my expectations are. Um, but the point is, is the fact that that clothes that that was done in two hours, I probably could have raised the rent even more than that and got someone in there. 
but I, I didn't want to be, uh, I, I feel like that's fair. Um, uh, my debt service is handled. I'm hopefully providing, I'm providing a really nice house. You've been to the house many times. It's a very nice place to live. It's in a good neighborhood. It's close to freeways and workplaces and the airport and all that stuff. Um, but this problem, what is the solution? And then I'll wrap it up. Cause I know we've been a little too long. The 2008 housing crisis caused new construction to stop. If there's someone to blame here, it is the big financial institutions that got billions of dollars of bailout from the government and refused to lend on that money. They paid all their bonuses out. They made sure their stock price stayed up. They took and and invested that bailout money into themselves and would not lend to construction. If you remember back in the Pacific Northwest, all building projects stopped. Apartments, condos, new houses. I think at the time you were doing some ads with Toll Brothers Housing, I believe, uh, or DR Horton Housing. That they, they just it just stopped. Yep. It like done in the middle of a job site. You'd have 15 houses going up and it stopped. There were no loans going out, there was no liquidity in the market. None of that nothing was being built for Two years, three years. Yeah, and you saw even cranes here in Seattle because because we were it kind of happened to us last, but when it happened, it happened. It didn't last for a long time, but you saw some of those cranes dismantled. You saw some of those cranes stop. There were 112 cranes swinging around in Seattle when all that happened. So that was real, and you, and, and your point is real because when money goes up for us on Main Street to buy home, it also goes up. Uh, for builders, and a lot of builders get their money from from Wall Street. So there is just not enough housing in America, period. And unless we want to sign up and say, hey, maybe we do need some density on Queen Anne. Maybe we do need some density in Magnolia. Maybe I'm okay with a sixplex going in across the street. Um, I don't think that sentiment's going to change anytime soon. So unfortunately, if you're a renter, be prepared to pay more in rent. Yeah, and we will see you on the other side of this. Hey, it's Ron and Don here for Les Schwab. They've been sponsors of the Ron and Don Show for going over a decade. You know, summer's almost here. That means it's time to have your tire tread checked at Les Schwab. One of those regular maintenance things that we never do. Why should we do that? Because that tread is literally where the rubber meets the road. Stop by Les Schwab and have your tire tread checked for free. No charge at all. Or schedule an appointment at LesSchwab.com. And if you do need new tires, right now you can save up to $150 on a set of four select tires with Les Schwab financing. Learn more at LesSchwab.com slash sale. That's Les Schwab Tires, where they've been doing the right thing since 1952. To say Andrea Mickelson's life is crazy is an understatement. And when it was time to sell her Sammamish home, she admits she was just overwhelmed. There was no way that I could even begin to try to figure out what needed to be done. Andrea had heard all about how Ron and Don do far more for their clients than other realtors, so she gave the guys a call. They immediately jumped in, advising her what she should consider doing, where to spend her money, and where not to bother to get the highest asking price possible. It was absolute relief. I felt that they could take on all the stuff that I needed to have done. The guys took over, leading a small army of experts who dramatically transformed her home inside and out. But Andrea admits, even though the market's smoking hot, she worried a bit about how she'd do. Now, she didn't have to wait long after it went live. So the first offer was 200000 over the the asking price. And the offers kept 
coming. Andrea was blown away when they finally settled on a selling price. They got $450,000 over the asking price. It was amazing. Suffice it to say, Andrea is thrilled, and she hasn't stopped recommending Ron and Don to her friends and family since. I'm Andrea Mickelson, and thanks to Ron and Don, I got way more for my door. Listening to my dad's podcast. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on RonandDonRadio.com. All right, you guys, welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. It was last summer that my son signed up for summer camp, and the summer camp he signed up for is he wanted to be a diver. And I'm like, you know what? That's great. When I was young, I went to the Y, learned to swim, and then I took a diving class. I learned to dive. I could never quite get the somersault down. Uh, I do have a pretty good pike. Uh, I can jump off a boat rather well. And that YMCA had a 10-meter uh, uh, platform, which I don't think they even do anymore. No, yeah, we did that. Yeah, we. No, I'm this- saying if you have a new Y, they don't do the 10-meter anymore. Yeah, but they, they had that they back had it, in the day. And that was fun to jump yeah, off Yeah, of. and I'd be, I was like seven, and you'd stand on it backwards and jump backwards and dive and do all that stuff. So I'm like, this is great that you want to be a diver. Until I found out, oh, my God, you want to be a diver? Scuba diver. (laughs) So anyway, he signed up for this class. He did all his book work. The book work is not easy. It's 15 to 25 hours. It it took me more like 35 hours because I'm just not smart anymore. I used to be at some point. I think I was. Or maybe I've never been smart, and I'm just beginning to realize that now. I, I don't know. But uh, so anyway, I got through the the testing, and then I went to the same pool. Uh, it's called Underwater Sports. It's a 12-foot pool. It's up here on Aurora. It's connected to a really great dive shop. If you're looking for a great dive shop, go to Underwater Sports. Uh, there is a woman that works out of Underwater Sports. She has her own business. Her name is Annie Crawley. And she really does a great job, you guys, of turning kids on to diving. She has great staff. They do these great camps. So if you can get in there, I suggest you do that. And what I didn't know and understand is I went and watched him in the pool one day. Like, I watched him in that same pool. And when I watched him swimming around with his oxygen tank on, and he goes to the bottom of the pool, and the whole class does. And they're not coming up, and they're not coming up, and they're not coming up. I mean, I'm ready to jump in that water and 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 go save my son. Now I realize what they were doing on the bottom of the pool, and it scared the hell out of me that not only did he do this in the bottom of the pool, but then he turned around and he went out in the Puget Sound up at Edmonds a couple days later, and he got his diving cert. They went on, in fact, he went on a two-day dive there, and then they went out to one of the islands, and they did uh, they did more diving. So let me ask you, if he had not done that, would is there a universe where you still would have wanted to get certified? I think there's a universe where I still want to get certified, but if he would have told me that he wanted to get certified, I would I would have thought that to be impossible for kids. And I would have just said, No, I don't think because this is age eleven. I don't think at age eleven we're gonna do this. Uh, because it's it's just gonna be too much. And it wasn't too much for him. And he was very humble about it. And but I, I think it's fair to say that because he got certified and you guys went to Hawaii and you snorkeled and saw the turtles, that now that seems to have wet your appetite to try to overcome Yeah, this. and I almost didn't do it. It was interesting because we spent New Year's. We spent our New Year's together, uh, and we had a lovely time over there with my mom. We stayed at uh, my friend Joe and Jennifer's place right on the golf course. We're watching the fireworks. I've shared a in little. In Hawaii. Yeah, in Hawaii and Maui, and I shared a little bit of this story. 
And, and so we came up with kind of a, we have a slogan that we're going to live by for the year. Uh, and last year we wanted to be noble men. So we talked about being noble. How can we be more noble in our lives? And so we set out challenges where we could learn to be noble. This year we decided that we're going to do hard things. And from some of the hard things, we're going to succeed. Some of them are going to fail. But for the failure, we're going to learn. We're going to learn from hard things. And that goes back to Teddy Roosevelt's speech in 1910 in the arena and Brene Brown. And a lot of you have probably read that. He talks about the fact that anything that you do in your life that is worth the time or worth the cost, chances are there was pain and there were hard things involved, right? And it makes it kind of worth it. And that's the way that, that we learn and grow. So, so we sat there and he shared some of the hard things that he was going to do this year. And I'm going to keep those things between myself and, and my son. And he's already done one of those hard things. I'm very, very proud of him. Uh, and again, that's between myself and, and, and G-Force. The thing that I shared with him is I said, you know, I really want to come back here and I really want to swim with you. And I really, and I get, oh, I got to be, I'm not going to cry. I, I really want to follow your bliss. Because uh, my bliss, if it was my bliss, my son would be a, a nose guard in a, in a tackle football league, and I would be his coach. <laughs> that is not his bliss right now. His bliss is to go diving, uh, and his bliss is to play tennis. Like he likes playing. He's very, very different than I am. And so, what I'm learning to do is maybe do some of the things that he loves to do. It helps me grow as a dad and a father, and it also helps him to be great at something and to teach me something. Right? Because the greatest form of learning is to teach someone else. And so through, through this adventure that I've been on and I, and I was coming up with all kinds of excuses not to do it and to punt it and to kick it to next year. And he and I had a, had a talk and my son will come uh, up to me and we, we, we do a lot of, when we sit down, we eat dinner in the evening time, one of us will lead the conversation. And so he gets to lead the conversation sometimes in, in a number of weeks ago or months ago, he wanted to know how I was doing with my hard things. And he wanted to know when we were going to have an opportunity to go diving together. And I'm like, well, we're not going to be able to go diving if I don't get certified. And I'm like, ah, I have to go do this. All right. So I want to ask you some questions because we're this, and, and I appreciate that backstory. So we talked about me getting certified a couple episodes ago. You can go back and hear that. And then I dove with the sharks in Costa Rica. When you got to the pool and started putting all the gear on and it became real, because you know the list of, of skills that you're going to have to do, and you know this can be underwater. How did you start to – how was your head? Yeah, I have to, I have to say this. When, when I climbed Rainier about 10 years ago, when I, when I climbed Rainier and I took my friend Brad to the top, and, and I, don't, I don't like heights – I don't like planes. I don't like claustrophobic. I don't like people being real close to me or even people that I don't know touching like that kind of, I don't like, even though I love hugs and, 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 and I can be expressive. I like to have lots of room around me. I just, I just do. And when I lose that room, uh, it really makes me feel confined. And I, and I, and I've had to deal with this in therapy. I didn't have a passport until I was over the age of 50. And then Ron and I went to Normandy together. I, without therapy, I could have never gotten on that plane and sat on that plane for 11 or 12 hours. I couldn't have done it. Uh, recently going to New York and on that plane for six and a half hours and really for 11 by the time we sat on the tarmac and got going. Without therapy, I, I, I couldn't have done that. With, with Rainier, I did it and I wasn't in therapy at the time. But I have to say, parts of that were terrifying uh, for me 
when we got up in the mountain in the middle of the night. And if I would have known what I was going to face, I don't know if I would have gone and done that. And so, and it wasn't that I wasn't in shape for it and we summited and everything else, but there were parts of it that were terrifying for me. I didn't want this to be terrifying. So I, so I've been dealing with some of these things as well and talking through these things. The, 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 the biggest thing that helps, and I learned this in therapy, is when you accept you're going to die. Just accept the fact that you're going to die. I grew up in a family, us Catholics, we don't talk about death. I still don't know what my mother wants me to do with her when she dies, if I'm still around and she's not. She's almost 80. Chances are she'll leave before I do. She will not talk about death with me. We have not talked about death in our family. It was just something that you didn't talk about. And and for whatever reason, and we still don't. Uh, and so my son and I, I've learned to talk about that. I've learned to accept the fact that I'm going to die and, and how oh, hopefully you, not in the pool over the weekend. Well, you know what, though? Hopefully at some point, maybe in a pool over the weekend. Like if I'm going to go, I don't want to be laying on a couch somewhere, eating a pizza and having a heart attack and, and, and saying he had a good life. I, I literally do want to go out with my boots on. And, and, and so if you ever hear that I was out doing something that I loved and I'm being serious about this and something happens to me. I, I, something happened to me while I was doing something that I loved, while I was engaged in my own life, while Brene Brown talks about being the author of your own story and participating in your own story. So that's, that's what this is for me. It's participating in my own life story. That helped me get in the pool. But I still had to deal with the fact that it still felt very claustrophobic to me, uh, and, 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 and I had to deal with that. That was alarming. Okay. So. so the skills that I was, so you go through the basic stuff, you put your gear on, you learn the names of everything. You sort of feel how the weight feels and it, it, you get used to it. Put your flippers on your mask, the whole nine. So the thing that I was curious about is then they take you to the bottom of the pool and you have to go through a series of skills and your dive master is right in front of you. He demonstrates or she demonstrates the skill and then you have to repeat the skill. And so the, the first one that I was curious about with you is you take the part that you breathe out of, out of your mouth, and you have to throw it over your right shoulder. Right. And so now <laughs> you are underwater yeah. and you can't hold your breath. You have to continue to hold your breath, go through the drill uh, of, of recovering that, clear the mask and retain breathing. How was that skill? It was alarming. And the reason it was alarming is there was a woman there that kept going to the top. And so she was over practicing the same skill and she could not find her regulator. And I look up while I'm looking for mine and she's swimming to the top. And this is in, in, in the very beginning of class. And you're sitting there going, okay, I don't know why she's swimming to the top, but I need to find my oxygen. And you begin to talk to yourself. You let the little bit of training that you have take over and you, you really, in that moment, your, your brain is working and you have to figure things out. But the fight or flight mechanism is totally on. And by her shooting to the top, and she kept doing it all class. Made you want to shoot it, to the top. It, it made me want to shoot to the top. Yeah, you're right. So Absolutely. Uh, you yeah. got through with that. I'm assuming if, like me, your heart rate goes up, your breathing goes totally, up. Totally, yeah. You're a little bit wide-eyed and panicked. Yep. Uh, and, but good job on getting through. Did you get through the first time? I did get through it my first time, yeah. And yeah. Then, the, the, then you have to take your mask entirely off. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it took a second to go, oh, I can still breathe. 
for whatever reason, my brain is like, if you take the mask off, you can't breathe anymore. And you could see, but I couldn't see because I had my contacts in. And so I was instructed to do, there were two things that I had to do over. One of those was that, but I didn't know that he wanted me to do it over because I couldn't see because my eyes were closed. Uh, and then you take that off, put to put it back on. And then there's this technique to clear the water. Yeah, because your mask is flooded. And what was hard for me is I didn't know when my mask was flooded and when it wasn't. And so I had to be very sure that my mask was no longer flooded. And I was, it was a guessing game because if I open up my eyes and the mask is still flooded, my contacts are gone. So, so that was a little, and, and I think at some point, if you're in a, in a space where you're in a diving accident, you're just, you're, you're going to, you're going to lose those contacts. That's just going to be part of yeah, it. Yeah. And you can get a, a prescription lens. on. It, the front. it was when you had to take the mask off though. And then I had to have my eyes closed and then the instructor pulls you pulls you around the pool mm -hmm. and then they turn your oxygen uh, tank off and you, and, and, and for people that don't know, and I didn't know this vest you, that you have on that you're wearing, you put air in it and your oxygen tank does that. So it allows you to breathe. It allows you to put air in so you can ascend and go up or take air out and you have weights on so you can descend and go down. And then you have a second regulator where you can share buddy air as well. If, if your buddy run, so you're spending a lot of time on the bottom of the pool practicing these things. And I have to say, when, when we were doing some of the drills where I couldn't see it, it was, it, I, I, I passed, but they, but they were difficult for me for sure. So what did you learn? Cause I know what, what I learned, but what, what was your takeaway from, you this? know, I, I, I did better than I thought I did. Uh, I stayed calm in moments where I didn't know I would stay calm. And I have to say, knowing that you had gone before and knowing that my son had gone before, it gave me the confidence to say, if, and, and I'm not joking about this either. If Ron can do this, if my son can do this, and you know, I have great respect for you and great respect for him. I'm like, if these two guys can do this, then I think that I can do this too. Uh, and, and, and that's what gave me the confidence of knowing that, that you had done this, Charles had done this, Charles son had done this, uh, and, and knowing that, that my, uh, my little 11 year old did all these things. And I got in the car and I talked to him about it. I'm like, they turn your oxygen off. He's like, yeah, daddy, but they turn it right back on. It's no big deal. <laughs> all right. So I'm, I'm proud of you. Cause I know that the, you had some thing like i don't have claustrophobia. I don't mind sitting on a plane. So I did not have that to deal with. Yeah. Um, next up is, is 60 feet down. No, hang on. What was your takeaway? What'd you learn? You oh, said, what did I learn yeah. is that, um, if you remain in the moment and don't, live in the past or live in the future, just yeah. remain in the moment that most of the time you can make it through that thing. So for me, it was a, an exercise in staying present and going, I know what to do here. And even though it feels this way, the reality, I'm not identical to that feeling. My reality is that I do have things that I can control, even though the feeling is saying, you're in danger. You're out of control. You don't know what to do. The reality is if I remain contained in myself and try to become identical with that part instead of the other one that I can get through it. Yeah, that's really good. And, and, and I have to say, when we got there, we had to swim 800 meters. And then right from the 800 meters, we had to show that we could tread water for 10 minutes. And 
everybody there had a neoprene suit because they're going in the sound. I'm not. I'm going to Maui. So I didn't have a neoprene suit on. I'm a little lean right now compared to what I was during COVID. So I don't have a lot of fat. Fat floats. I'm neoprene floats. So they could sit there in their neoprene suits and they were just chatting the whole time. One of the girls that didn't have a neoprene suit, her foot was on the bottom of the pool. And I knew this because I was swimming slowly back and forth. That and 10 I minutes s- is a long time. I could see her foot on the bottom. This is after 800 meters. And now, and now you got to float around for 10. And, and I had to swim this for 10. So I just, I would swim back and forth. And, and, and she is the one that kept bolting to the top. And, and, and I had teased you before about being a tattletale, one of your classmates, but I could see why you would want to be, because if I was going out in the sound with her and she was my dive buddy, I think I would refuse to go with her. She didn't have the confidence to swim. She didn't know how to swim. She had no business being on the bottom of that pool. Well, I'm proud of you. I can't wait for you to go into the deep. I'm not done yet. And see how it is. Cause yeah. once you get that card, then you and I are dive buddies. There you go. Off to, off to Maui on the 22nd. We will see you on the other side of this. Hey, it's Ron Don here with Mitch Weeks. He's the official mortgage guy of the Ron Don Nation, Mitch.loans. Mitch, is it ever too early to start this process? Because I had a buyer here recently that we're about to put an offer in on, on their new house, and they show up and go, what do you think of my new truck? And I was like, what do you mean you got a new truck? Isn't it great? I got a new truck. It's like, oh, why did you do that right before you're going to buy a house? They just they hadn't talked to you yet. They didn't know that was a bad thing to do. It is a bad thing to do. Any financing of large items is a bad idea during the closing process. Um, So it's never too early to talk to someone like me and talk about what it means to finance a house and what are the shortcomings of doing things like buying a truck close to closing. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) go to Mitch.loans right now. Uh, Mitch will help you get pre-qualified, pre-underwritten, and also save half a percent on your new loans. Mitch.loans, NMLS, 169-1573. Finally, you guys, and welcome back uh, to the Ron and Don Show. If you're having a hard time making good decisions, sometimes uh, should we read another book? Do we need to get more sleep, or Ron? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's just a math problem. This was a I've heard of this before, and I've uh, thought about this before. It's called the thirty-seven percent rule, and this is mathematicians that uh, have come up with this. Here, here's the basic theory. Let's say that the easiest one is let's say you're you're a hiring manager trying to hire someone. And so the the rule basically is this. Take the first third, so let's say you're like I'm going to I'm going to um we're going to interview 100 people to fill this position. So what this rule says is that you would interview the first 37 people. So interview all of them, use the same criteria for each interview. And so after you've done 37% of this process, uh, then that's all the sample size you need. So then, and, and uh, starting on number 38, as soon as you get to a candidate that is better than the first 37, that you have a better feeling for, they're better qualified, whatever, as soon as that person arises, hire that person. You don't have to go any further. You don't have to go all the way to 100. As soon, if that person comes in on 38th and you're like, this candidate's clearly better than that first third, hire that, move on with your day. You don't have to think about it. They even do this with dating. So let's say you've dated uh, and you're trying, you want to get married. And you've, you've taken a certain sample size, 37%, however you want to quantify that you can. 
as soon as you find a connect with a connection with someone that is better than that sample size, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's all. Lock it, lock it down. And so what they, I'm, I'm asking you to marry me, not because I'm in love with you, but because science says we should be together. <laughs> and so it's, it's the paradox of choice. We live in, especially totally. in the dating realm or in the uh, restaurant realm, where you're sitting there. I was doing this the other day with hot sauce. Yeah. I'm standing in the store. There's a hundred different hot sauces. And it's like, okay, like how do you... Well, How do you know Chris, which one to, to do? But Crystal is the best hot sauce. So I, I just grab Crystal because it's the one that I, I like and I know that I like it. Yeah. But the point being is like if you get paralyzed by indecision, that this is a great rule of thumb. Give yourself a 37% sample size. And then as soon as it is exceeded, that's your answer. So it can be they talk about homes as well. So let's say you want to buy a house. You go out. Maybe look at 10, 15 homes. As soon as you find one that's above that sample size, that's the house. And and, and then they have the caveat of, like back to the dating thing, if it's just if everything lined up and you're still in your information gathering thing, you can still override this rule. If you're like, this is perfect and it happened early, then go ahead and do that. But if if you're bogged down on the other end. I see people go back, though. What about the people that go back? that were dating someone maybe didn't really realize what they had and then uh, and then they go on and they date and then you'll 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 see them back together uh like JLo and and Ben Affleck right, right. Now. they're 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 back together and I could sit here Dwayne Wade went off actually had a baby with another woman and then realized that uh, his girlfriend was the woman that he always wanted to be with. So he went back, he married her. They've been together for years now and they're raising a family and, and they've included this other child and the other mom in really kind of a beautiful way. So, so what about that? What about if the sample size helps you understand that, Hey, maybe it was that fourth or fifth thing or that fourth or fifth human uh, that I should, should return to. As long as you make a super elaborate uh, way to try to get win the person back with songs and flowers and yeah. and like setting up a laser light show outside their house, then okay. you're, you're fine. It'll totally work out. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you guys. Thanks for stopping by the Ron and Don Show. Episode 400 is on the way. Can you believe that 400 is our next episode? In fact, uh, Ron and I have some thoughts on that. We can't wait to share with you. Uh, also, coming up in episode 400. You won't want to miss this. Uh, we're going to tell you about a guy that never landed a plane in his life until he had to. It is an incredible story. And also, Seattle just cleaned up a woodland park near Green Lake. And this is after for years trying to get people out of that park and find them housing. And finally, they said, you know what? We can't find everybody housing, but we got to clean out that park. Has Seattle turned the page when it comes to the homeless crisis and the crisis of tents and RVs and crime that is no longer petty in our city? We'll talk about that coming up in episode 400. Hey, don't forget, if you need a loan, Mitch Lot Loans. Yeah, Mitch Lot Loans right now, you get half a percent of the loan value back, and he'll explain that to you. Go to Mitch.Loans and go get some new tires for the summer driving season at Les Schwab. Yeah, and don't forget, if you need us, where do you go? Yeah, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. Email me directly, ron at windermere.com. We can set up that sit-down. Even though interest rates rise, Don and I have a strategy for that. 
Yeah, and right now, you guys, we are dealing with homes from Port Orchard all the way to Woodby Island, all the way out to Duval, back here to Seattle, uh, down to Olympia, just closing on a farm down there. <laughs> farm. I'd love that we sold a farm. <laughs> hey, Chad, we sold that damn farm. <laughs> If you need us, we can sell anything. We'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and keep blowing that trumpet and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network.